even before that, like before they gave him the shot, he was like, oh, wait, doctor, I remembered the name of the book I wanted to recommend you, like right before they gave him the shot. And I was like, what? Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast where imperfect people have uh, talk about imperfect things, have imperfect conversations in a very imperfect way. Uh, I'm your host, Christina, and this episode is coming out a little bit later, Monday night rather than Monday morning. But The reason for that is because it's a really heavy one. It's a really emotional one. I wanted to take my time editing it. Um, Actually, what happened was I was editing it last night and it was really intense and I had to take a break in between to look at like memes and ended up falling asleep at nine o'clock because I was just so emotionally drained. Uh, It's been a really full weekend in a good way, but editing this episode last night was just, uh, my heart couldn't take it. And, um... Because of that, right off the top, I'm issuing a content warning. We do talk about death and dying in detail. Of course, we respect the subject and the people uh, involved, but if you are squeamish about death or anything like that, just proceed with caution. We do both use humor as a coping mechanism, so take it as you will. Last week, you heard part one of Eli's story. Uh, She talked about growing up with uh, death from an early age, and then right before we left her last week, she was talking about meeting her future fiancé, Fee, in an online chat room, and that's kind of where we left off. So this week, she talks more about their relationship and the events uh, that led up to her flying across an ocean to be with him in hospice and I'm not going to say anything else but it's it's very moving and I'm just in awe of Eli and the strength that she has to deal with all this stuff but also just how she has used it to just I don't want to say become a better person well, but really that's what she's done she's become the person that Fee would be proud of and it's really beautiful um, okay before I launch into the second part of our interview. I have a few housekeeping things to mention. First off, the podcast schedule. I know everyone is dying to hear about it. (laughs) Um, This is one of the final episodes I'll be releasing this year. Next week, I'm going to do my end of year review episode a little bit earlier than usual. Typically, I do it around New Year's, but I have other plans for New Year's this year which you will find out about shortly. Um, I'm just going to go over how I changed this year and also how the podcast changed this year. I feel like I teased this episode in every intro lately, but it's going to be great. Stick around to hear that. I also want to put out another call out one last time for your holiday tips and tricks. Uh, I know we're kind of almost into the the heart of the holidays. We're, we're almost to Christmas now, two weeks away, less than two weeks away, and there's a lot of emotions flying around, especially since this is the first holiday season 
that people are really getting back together in person, or at least for a lot of people I know. Uh, I was in Seattle alone last year for all the holidays. I mean, I, I had a few friends. I wasn't alone, but it was definitely a different experience than I was used to. And so at the same time that I'm relieved to be with family this year, it's also really stressful and really just emotional. I, I use that word a lot this episode, but honestly, it's kind of the perfect all-encompassing word when you just don't know what to do with your feelings, which is me almost all the time. If you have any stories about dealing with the holidays, uh, whether it's pertaining to you and your mental health or the world and how you've noticed things are changing, or if you have any suggestions for holiday movies that have to do with mental health or things that are just helping you cope, send them all my way. I want to feature your stories and your content more heavily in the podcast moving forward. And so I'm trying to do better by asking more questions on Instagram and all that. But um, when I tell you, you can always always DM me or email me. I'm, I'm not lying. I, I really love hearing from y'all. So send those my way. And yeah, if you have been a guest on the podcast this year, keep an eye out. I'm going to be sending y'all a very special email in the next few weeks, inviting you to the Hot and Spicy Pickle Awards, virtually, obviously. How wild would that be if I just like whisked all my guests to an island somewhere and just like, I don't know, I, I was picturing some like Count of Monte Cristo shit where he just like appears and like there's a hot air balloon. He, he steps off a hot air balloon and there's like flames and everyone's like, what? Who is this? Um, if you don't know that movie, then you're probably lost right now. But basically, I am the Count of Monte Cristo, but like the mentally ill version. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop right there and just uh, start this episode. So I'll talk to you next week with some personal stuff. Until then, please stay safe and do what's best for you. Enjoy. Yeah, so we talked like on and off after that, but it like wasn't consistent and it wasn't romantic. And then we talked romantically for like the first time in between my first and second year of teaching. And it was because there was actually a mouse in my apartment. <gasps> because Are you scared of small animals? I am terrified of mice. I it's weird because like everyone in New York hates roaches and they're like, oh my God, roaches are so gross. And I'm just like, they're, they're gross, but like I can deal with them, but I can't deal with mice. So I was once again up at like three in the fucking morning, like hyperventilating on aim, like, ah! and like my way message was like, someone talk to me. Ah! And like, he was <laughs> up and he was like, like, what's wrong? And I was like, there's a fucking mouse in my fucking apartment. And like, he was just like trying to calm me down. And he was just like trying to like compliment me or something on my picture where he's like, well, your hair looks nice. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about my hair. <laughs> There's a fucking oh house in my apartment. And he's like, well, okay then. <laughs> the most British response one can give. Oh my God. So we, we were, he literally, he just stayed up with me like all night, just like talking to me. Cause I was so terrified. Like I couldn't go to sleep over like a fucking mouse. And we actually, like, after that, like, we kept talking, like, each and every day and, like, talking more and more and more. And after, like, two weeks, I actually booked a ticket to go to London to go meet him. And I did not tell him I booked this <gasps> ticket. 
which oh is my god the most impulsive thing I've ever done before like I'm usually like a like anal retentive planner so I just like booked this ticket and I was like guess what I did and he's like what did you do and I was like I'm gonna go to London in September like you should come meet me and I'm pretty sure he had a panic attack because he just like didn't respond oh my god oh my god <laughs> have, have you seen or heard of the movie love hard no. on Netflix no it's god awful it's um, a rom-com a christmas rom-com currently on netflix it's utter trash my sister and i started it and we just couldn't even get 30 minutes in but basically the premise is exactly like that she keeps getting catfished by guys and she finally meets one who she thinks is the one and she gets a ticket to go visit him in his hometown without telling him and then of course like it's a catfish situation and she falls for someone else and it's a huge story i don't know what happens because like i said we quit it but uh all that to say your your life is basically a a rom-com god damn it no but um we kept talking every single day i told him i loved him at like the end of a month he told me he loved me even though i hadn't met him in person at this point but like it all felt like completely natural and like we started talking on skype every single night and we still did that every single day the whole time we were dating oh and i met him in person in that september and like we spent like a good like four or five days together like in london and just like doing shit and like walking around and like i'd never been to london at this point that's so romantic i think like online relationships get so much flack but i think people just need to accept that it it's a legitimate way of meeting someone now. <laughs> it really is. No. Like, honestly, like for me, I'm just, I, I can be so awkward around people at first and I really don't mean to. It's just because like I get in my head sometimes. So like when I'm yeah. in a person, I'm just like, and, like, I don't mean to be, but like yeah. talking to someone like online, I can like think about what I'm going to say and like take a minute to respond. So it's a lot less pressure in that sense. So I felt like I got to know him so much better by talking to him. And then I got to meet him in person. Oh my God, that must have been such a whirlwind of four days. You said four days or five days? Four, it was like four to five. It was something around like four to five days. It was it's like- It's all a blur. It, it, was, it was back in 2015, so it was a while ago. And, and he felt the same way? Yeah, we were like, it was an immediate connection kind of a thing where we were like, this is something that's like legitimate. Did you talk about um, being together at that point? So we were pretty much established that like, we were an item like we were exclusive and that we were going to date long distance. Uh, it was a lot more difficult for us because at that point he was a writer and he was working on more like passion projects. So he wrote like young children's novels and like young adult novels. Oh, that's cool. He did like other things on the side, but he wasn't like earning income in the same way that I was like with teaching and stuff. So I was mostly the one like going to visit him at the time. Gotcha. So it kind of created like a little bit of like a rift in that sense. So it was like mm-hmm. me going to see him, but like, I was fine with it. Like I, I was, I had no fucking issue with that. Yeah. But, um, it's definitely, um, it was different in that sense. And then also when he got sick, he was still living in the UK. So, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So, wow. and we did talk about us potentially like, you know, 
getting married and having him come to the States to get like a second opinion and like using my insurance for treatment and stuff. But he was like, so devoted to the NHS and he was like, my country will do me right. And I'm like, fuck your country. Like they clearly do not care about like taking care of you in the best way possible. Cause I was like very upset with how they were doing his treatment. And he was like, they're doing their best. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't you have to wait a long time to be seen yeah like a a specialty cause or whatever yeah so at least the biggest differences that i saw were like you don't really get a say in who you get to see as like a doctor with nhs it's just kind of like here you go here's your doctor and you can't really get a second opinion unless you like go pay for like a private hospital or something and i was basically like babe like you need to go get a second opinion like this is like something very serious and he was like no I believe in my country. And I'm like, God damn it. Why why are you like this? Wow. I did not realize that he was still in the UK when he got diagnosed. Yeah. How how often had you been in person with him at that point? Only a couple of times because like with my schedule, it was really hard for me to like get over there. Like with being a teacher, I can't just be like, Oh, I'm going to take this next week off. Like I, my schedule was like what the school year schedule is. So with that, it, definitely made it more difficult with his treatment and stuff, but he did have a lot of like really great friends and family to help him with that. But the conversations that he would have with them versus like with me in terms of when we knew that like he was going to die, like the whole narrative shift shifted a lot. Uh, Well, so tell me about the day that he told you about his diagnosis. So the day he told me that he was diagnosed, right? Actually, at this point, he had been like AWOL for like two days. And we knew or I knew that something was wrong with like his um, his digestive system. So he had IBS and like we knew like as all Jews do. <laughs> so like we, <laughs> we knew that like something was wrong with like his his like insides or whatever. But like we weren't sure exactly what like me or his parents or whatever. So he was like on the waiting list to like go see another like specialist. And he wasn't picking up his phone for like two days. He wasn't answering his messages on Facebook for like two days. So this was so out of character for him. Yeah. So I was just like freaking the fuck out. And then finally his mom just messages me out of nowhere and is like, Hey, Hey, like, Hey, I want to let you know fees in the hospital right now. He has to undergo emergency surgery. And I was (gasps) like, excuse me (laughs) oh my god that's gotta be so surreal and this was the day i'm not even joking the day before i started a new job are you kidding so i was immediately immediately like i need to go and like be there for him and i talked to him and he was like no because also this was the year that i earned tenure so the way that works in new york is you have to be there on your first day otherwise like you forfeit your tenure oh my god so i was like okay do i risk like going there to like be there for him in case he like dies in surgery or do i like stay here go for one day to like get my tenure and then like see what happens yeah so that was fucking awful having to make that choice (laughs) just curious were there any people in your life who were kind of delegitimizing your relationship because he was in another country and you met online a couple of people didn't really understand it in that sense like 
my, uh, my sister at times would kind of talk down about a little bit or like my brother, but for the most part, if I'm being quite honest, I really just didn't pay attention to it or give it a shit or like (laughs) much of a shit about it. So if people did, like, I try not to give much like thought to that because I just don't have time for it. Like, it's not that you're in love. (laughs) Like, you know, jealousy's a bitch. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, why? Yeah, I was just curious because, like, it. Uh, sorry, continue your story. <laughs> but um, so I'm talking to his mom. I'm talking to him, and basically, we decide that if something happens where like he takes a turn for the worse, then like I'll get on the next plane because, like, thankfully, like you know, me being in New York, I'm not short of options for like getting to an airport yeah. to get over there really quickly, which later on becomes a good thing for me. Um, and I go to work. I'm a complete fucking mess meeting people like, hi, I'm new here. Like a shaking hands and shit, like at a brand new school, which ended up being an awful school. And I hated working there because they would like gaslight the fuck out of me about everything I was going through because I made the mistake of telling them what I was going through oh, no. trying to explain it to them. And I think that like my assistant principal at that school, like thought I was lying about it because she would just be like, Oh, sweetie, poor thing. <laughs> just, oh my God. She was awful. And like, if I ever saw her again in person, like I would straight up like just punch her in the face or (gasps) kick her ass like i am not even a violent person i would straight up do that and like go to jail i don't even oh my god i hate this woman i absolutely hate her if she's listening to this podcast this is your warning i i straight (laughs) up i straight up hate that woman but um so yeah and then it was a couple days later that i found out through his mom that it was cancer And that was like right before the kids started at school. So I was obviously a great first impression for the children first day of school. And also at this point I was like, well, there's really, if I go fly over there, like what, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. Be like, yay, cancer. (laughs) Like, What am I going to, so like other than moral support, what am I going to do? Yeah. But moral support is important too. It is really important. Yeah. But I guess also like with the DOE, like the Department of Education over here, it's really hard to get time off spontaneously. And so for me having me having just started a brand new job at a brand new school, like it would be hard for me to get that time off unless it was like life or death. Right. So I was like, I have to be like certain about this shit. Like if I'm going over there and I can't ask for it again, unless it's like, I'm willing to burn this bridge. And at this point, like, I don't know these people. Like, I'm not willing to burn that bridge just yet. Oh, it's such should've. a shitty position to be in. Like, my heart just breaks for you. Because you, like, all, everything about it is shitty. There's, like, no silver lining. It was, it was really, truly awful. Like, that whole month, I, like, didn't sleep. I didn't eat. My whole face just, like, broke out in, like, big, huge, like, sores. Like, it was a position to be in. Oh. But... He got through his surgery just fine. Um, They basically told us like, you know, after the surgery, it was stage like three to four and that fee would have to do um, radiation. He got something called a pick line, which basically went like from his arm, basically straight to his heart. It looked almost like a helium balloon canister, like they used for like little kids parties. They would hook him up to it and 
it would like make him, I swear to God, it would like make him stronger. Like when they put like the chemo into him and he would like be like super hyper that day and be like, I can do anything. I am Superman. And then the next day, like when it would like come out of him, he would just lay in bed and like his mom would like call me and be like, he can't even like roll over on his own. Like I have to roll him over myself. That's that's got to be a roller coaster of emotions for for you, let alone for him. And this is like at this point, he's like a 35 year old guy. Like he's young. He's healthy other than like smoking a couple cigarettes every now and then. Like, How does this happen so fucking quickly? When did you start realizing how serious it really was? So in the back of my mind, right away when he was diagnosed, right, I immediately think of my dad. Of course. So right away, I start thinking about how with my dad, it was like up and down, up and down, like shit could hit the fan any second. I knew that experience with my dad. So I kind of had that mentality in the back of my head the whole time. So I was just kind of anticipating that like something could go wrong at any moment, unfortunately. Um, But I mean, like at the same time, like I just, you know, obviously was supportive, held out hope was like positive, but the, we really knew something was wrong and like not going well in the end of January when he finished his first round of chemotherapy and he ended up back in the hospital because he was severely dehydrated. That was the first reason. And they were basically going to just put like an IV on him for a couple hours and then let him go because they just thought it was dehydration. And then he was there for a little bit and they realized that anytime he tried to eat something, he would just throw it right back up. He had a lot of issues, obviously, you know, like with colon cancer, um, his whole digestive system was like rerouted. So he had um, a stoma, which is like one of those little holes where like you have a, a colostomy bag. So he had to use that to like go to the bathroom. So his colostomy bag wasn't filling up anymore and he was basically throwing up everything. So the doctors were like, okay, we're going to do some scans. And then they realized that like, basically his intestines were like fully blocked off. Oh my God. So at that point they were like, you're not responding fast enough to the treatment. If we do another surgery to remove this new blockage, it's only going to buy you a little bit more time. And at this point you're so weak, you're basically bedridden. So palliative care, like hospice. Fuck. Yeah. If some of the listeners aren't familiar with hospice, that is kind of like the last option, right? When there's really no hope for recovery and you're just go home to it, wait out your final days. It's, it's end of life care. Yeah. Okay. So his first reaction with that And I I was not privy to this right away. It was mostly his brother that was privy to this was right away. Fee was like, no, 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 do the surgery. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight. I got to keep going. Yeah. And I don't blame him for that, but he, he didn't let me see that side of him. And then the next day, once he like got it together, he called me. And at this point, I only knew that he was still in the hospital for dehydration and like some digestive issues. Like I didn't hear anything else about what was happening. So he told me basically I'm dying. And I was like, oh, okay. So, um, that was in like the afternoon on a Tuesday, like around like 4 PM. And by like 6 PM, I had already like bought a plane ticket, packed my bags, 
like was ready to go, had my passport, told my job I was going, take me off payroll. Oh. Like I was out. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, like like I told you, like in the back of my head, like I was ready to go. I was absolutely like not playing games with this shit. So I told him, I was like, I'm on my way. Like right now I will be there in a couple of hours. So I took a red eye flight, um, not knowing how the fuck I would get to the hospital or any of that shit. Since he lived in like East Kent, which is like on the shore of like East England. So I was just like, fuck it. I'll like rent a car if I have to. Yeah. So I was just like, I will get there. I will figure it out. And I'm usually not, not that kind of a person, but I was like, this is where we're at right now. This is what we will do. <laughs> do you think the experience with your dad kind of prepared you in a sense? Like you didn't fuck around basically. Like you had a sense of urgency this time. Absolutely. And that's why, like, when he told me all of this, I didn't hesitate at all. I wasn't like, oh, we'll wait and see what the doctors say in a few days. I was like, I, I'm going to be there. And I told him I wasn't going to leave until basically this was all settled, whether it's you have a next step in your treatment plan or you've passed. And I told him that. How did he respond? He, he was very grateful. And I was also terrified at the time, but I didn't show him that. But it, it was yeah. part of my caretaker instinct I guess and I was also a caretaker for my dad when my dad was sick along mm. with like my mom and my sister as well that's not your first rodeo yeah so I was I was used to it and even like when Fee was in hospice like I would like you know like help bathe him help dress him things like that where it's like most 26 year olds like don't do that for their partner <laughs> I yeah I feel like most 26 year olds don't even do that for their parents or grandparents let alone your partner I, I just can't even imagine yeah so it's like, definitely, everything is out of order it's an act of love and you have to really know that you care about this person and that like you want to completely be there for this person in a way that you have to really show that vulnerability that I feel like not everybody can. Did you ever have any moments of hesitation or doubt? Not really hesitation or doubt. It was mostly just, I had moments where like, I knew what I had to do. There were times like when I first got there and I was going between staying at Fee's parents' house and then staying with him at um, the hospital because he was at the hospital first and then hospice. The hospital was like so overrun. And this is like one of my other complaints about NHS. Like those hospitals are so overcrowded that like the nurses are so overworked and like they can't always be on top of everything. And like, it's just a domino effect, right? So yeah. I had to like set a timer like every 12 hours to make sure his morphine was changed because he couldn't always articulate like when his drip was like not working as well. And he would just like start wiggling, but he couldn't say like, I'm in pain, but like I could tell that he was hurting. So I, you know, being the stupid American that I am would like go barge into the nurse's lounge and be like, hi there. It's been 12 hours. It's time for his drip to be changed. Thanks. <laughs> like, oh my God. So was that just his personality is like, he didn't show pain or he but, was, he like physically incapable of saying it was, like something. part of like where he was with his condition. And also okay. like, also part of him just being so British and like his family <laughs> being so British, they're just like, none of them could like go tell somebody, but I'm like, fuck it. I'm American. Like, yeah. <laughs> go do it. I'll raise a stink about this. Yeah, exactly. So I had to do that about so much stuff or like when he wanted like new pillows or like this or that, or like, I literally like emptied out the vending machine in the hallway because like every single hour he was like, I want this soda. I want that soda. Like not a problem. Let me go. But like, 
You're just being an advocate for him. Yeah, like, and he needed that. That's so sweet. I was staying with him um, in the hospital and also in hospice um, 24-7 at that point because he told me, and this is what broke my heart, he told me um, when I left, he would forget who he was and where he was. And Mm -hmm. he would re-remember that he was dying like he would forget dying and he would re-remember and my heart just sunk and i was just like that is something i absolutely cannot allow to happen ever again so with me staying here and going bonkers in the next like however long it takes for us to figure out what's happening and get this situation settled if it takes two weeks three weeks i will fucking stay here and that will not happen again like that no So tell me about the timeline a little bit. He was in the hospital for a couple of days. And mostly when he was in the hospital, a lot of the time was spent just waiting for him to get into hospice because at that point we knew that it was palliative care that we just didn't want to do any sort of other treatment. And then also like his surgeons wouldn't approve any other treatment. Did they give you like a timeline of how long it would take? The biggest issue, at least for um, for his situation, was that he didn't want to do home hospice because at that time his parents were helping to take care of him and he would have gone to his parents' house. So mm. he didn't want to pass in his parents' house because he didn't want his parents to have that memory. So I totally understood that, even though part of me was like, it's your choice too if you want to be at home, like... You should. Well, yeah, because you went through something similar with your dad. Yeah, and like my dad chose to pass at home, so I I see both sides of it. So for for Fee though, he was like, I don't want to do that to my parents. I don't want them to like look at my bedroom and remember like when I died. I want them to like think of like the happy memories of like me being there and like being alive. So he had to um, basically wait for an empty bed at a hospice facility. Um, that wouldn't be too far away for his parents to drive to. Gotcha. So there were some ones that were farther away, but we had to like hold out basically for one that was closer. And that took a couple of days and also like more harassing and just like bothering people to just be like, hey, we really need a, like a spot. But he ended up getting a beautiful room in Canterbury, which wasn't that far away from where he um, was living. That's a mercy at least. Yeah. So it was a really beautiful space. Like there was a really nice garden he was able to look out into. Um, not a far drive for his parents. Very peaceful and quiet. How common is that for people to go to hospice like in a facility? I guess I was just thinking of like being at home. I also had not heard of it before, to be honest. Um, I I've mostly only heard of hospice through like a hospital facility. Like if there's like maybe a hospice wing, at least in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or home hospice in the U.S. But like in the U.K., it was like a nonprofit, I believe, called like Pro- Pilgrims Hospice. So they were able to like take people in. They they also fed me. Like they they gave me oh food. My God. So I was like, bless you all. <laughs> what a ministry. Yeah, like they're very nice people. I also like took all the soda from their vending machine for for <laughs> so I just completely cleared them out. <laughs> oh my God. It is this is such a random question. Is it hard to for you to drink soda now? There's one soda that Fee used to love called Iron Brew, which is like bright orange and to me just tastes like ass. So (laughs) that one, I, whenever I see it, I think of him 
but it's not something we find in the States. So thankfully I haven't seen it here. Damn. So when did you guys start talking about marriage? I'm really curious. We mostly started talking about it like once he got sick and then the timeline kind of got a little bit more fuzzy as he started his treatment because we considered getting married sooner, but the issue was also in terms of like his estate and stuff, because if he were to pass away and like we were legally married, then like I would be the one to have to like sign papers and settle stuff because of his wife. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person like the day before he dies to be like, like I don't want to do yeah, that. Totally understandable. Like, because his mom was like very on top of that. And like, I just didn't want to do that to her because that would just be not good and not fair at all. to so, like someone, his family was so wonderful to me. I was going to ask what your relationship with his parents was like. So I had like talked to his parents, but I also before this point, I had never met them in person. Of course not. So like when I'm meeting them is like the last days of his life. <laughs> like, oh my God. No stress at all. I don't really know these people that well. And I'm like in their house, like showering and eating their food and stuff. And I'm like, so what's going on? <laughs> oh man. That's so I, weird. I'm just so stressed out at this point. I just don't give a fuck. Like I can't, my anxiety is just gone. Like I cannot fathom the energy to have anxiety. I'm just like, I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. I'm so disgustingly sweaty. I need to shower. I just can't care at this point. Yeah. They're probably numb too. So they were so amazing to me. They've been amazing to me. And they are also just like, they're, they're older, like they're elderly. So they were just so grateful that I was able to stay at the hospital because also with Fee's siblings, they're all older and like have their own family. So they couldn't just stay at the hospital with him. So I was the one that was able to like stay there and like call with information because Fee couldn't do that on his own. Like he was too out of it sometimes. That's so heartbreaking. Like no parent should have to witness their, their kid dying. It, it really changes a parent in that sense. And my mom and Fee's mom actually like became friends, even though like, they've, never, they've never met before. Yeah. Stop. Just that experience of like losing a child. It's not something that should ever happen to a parent. So tell me about the final days leading up to his death. So Usually with people that are towards the final days, like before they pass away and this sort of like terminal illness, they usually are more absent mentally than he was. He was very present. Like he was very quick, very sharp. He would get tired very easily. Um, he also had like nonstop visitors. And he basically told me that I had to be the gatekeeper. He told me that like he would stare at me and like blink. And then that would mean like, okay, they have to go. I have to nap. So we like a system because he wasn't able to like muster the energy to like tell people like, go, I must nap. So I had to be the, like the person to be like, oh, well, it looks like he's getting tired. We should let him sleep for a little bit. So like he needed someone to like help him do that. That's so helpful. It's not really something you think about, but obviously it's what he needed. And I'm really happy you were there to, to help him with that. Yeah, because um, a lot of people also kept like, I, I don't blame people for this because not everyone has the same experience with like losing people, but like a lot of his friends just kept like overwhelming him with stuff. Mm. Like one of his best friends from college was like, trying to like bring him like old photo books and stuff, things like that. Like, let's look through all of this. And it's like, 
dude, I, I absolutely love the energy, but no, like he, yeah. he's not in a state right now where he can like reminisce and look through shit like this. Like he just, well, and that's, the, that's the thing. Most young people like our age don't have that experience with death and dying. And they, like you said, it's not necessarily their fault. They just don't know. Yeah. And I know you had the experience with death prior, but had he, I really don't know. And I didn't ask, but for most stuff like that, I tried to just kind of like politely be like, Oh, we'll take a look at that later. Oh, that looks like it would be something fun to go through after this or like whatever to try to like put it away. Cause like, I could just tell right away that he was like, Oh, like the, the kind of like connection that we had, I could tell that he was just like, Nope, next. Like, I don't want to look at that kind of thing. Did he ever talk to you about his feelings about dying? Like, so he was pretty agnostic, even though he had some like Jewish lineage in him. Like he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in like an afterlife and things like that. He mostly just believed like when you die, you die. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, he was pretty at peace about it. Like he was upset, but he was like, I can't do anything to change it it's going to happen regardless. And even like in his last moments, like before his death, like when basically the doctor was like, okay. So they basically gave him like a huge morphine shot, like on the last day of his life to like help him jumpstart um, the Mm -hmm. dying process. Even before that, like before they gave him the shot, he was like, oh wait, doctor, I remembered the name of the book I wanted to recommend you like right before they gave him the shot. And I was like, what? Oh my God. It was a book by Salman Rushdie too. And I'm like, Salman Rushdie, that's the book. <laughs> oh my God. You you can't make this stuff up. I feel like people have this one image of death that they think is true, but like, it's not some sacred, quiet, serious thing. I, I feel like it's just, it's a human experience, you know, and human experiences come in all like different shapes and sizes and ways like I don't know what I'm trying to say but oh no and it's it's interesting because like with Fee like I was able to hold his hand and like be there when he passed I was there with his mom and his dad and like we both like held his hand it's actually it's an interesting contrast to like when my father died because um like my dad was at home with me and my sister and we basically knew that he was going to pass like that evening. So I remember being like 16 and I was like, I don't want my dad to be alone when he dies. So I'm going to stay up with him. And I stayed up all night next to my dad. And I like fell asleep next to him, like on the arm rail of his like hospital bed in his bedroom. And I woke up, it was like six in the morning. And my sister was like, damn, like you stayed up all night. And I was like, yeah, I'm tired as shit. And she was like, I'm going to make some coffee, like come drink some coffee with me. And my dad was like still alive. And I was like, okay. So I walk into the kitchen with my sister for like two minutes. And then she walks back into the bedroom. My dad passed away. Oh, fuck. At first I was like, I chose the wrong moment. Like my dad died the second I walked out. But then like, part of me is like, now that I'm grown, I really believe he had enough awareness left to wait until I left because he didn't want me to see that. Mm, Wow. Yeah. So with, with fee, then you were literally like holding his hand when he passed. So I, I like saw the moment, like when he passed. Yeah. What was that like? It wasn't real at first. And 
without getting into too much like detail to like be like weird or anything about right because i know people could be like kind of weird about death but um sometimes when people die um like liquid comes out of their body so um yeah like so he started um like when he passed and like he stopped breathing um he started drooling so it, it like right away i just started cleaning his mouth and I remember being like, what's going on? Like, it just kept coming. It just like kept coming. And I was like, I need more paper. To- we need more paper towels. Like, I just remember like out about that. And like the hospice nurse was like, we got it, sweetie. Like we got it. And I'm like the paper towels. Like oh that was God. what I was focusing on. Oh, people don't know about that stuff. Cause like, it's so normal, but you know, again, people don't really talk about it. it it's not really shown much in media. Yeah, like in terms of like like seeing like a dead body and stuff like that and like like rigor mortis or whatever. Um mm-hmm. when he was passing, like before he actually died, um his hands were clenching and I'm not I remember the nurse explained to me why it was happening, but it wasn't from him actually like holding my hand, but something about like the dying process made his hand like hold tighter or like clench up. So it was like he was like holding my hand. Did you cry or like did his parents cry like what how did they react like in the immediate aftermath i remember we were both crying and i remember like the moments before i remember at one point i definitely had like an out-of-body experience where like i couldn't move like after the doctor um so he, he had a tube going from his nose down to his throat and like into a bag to like help drain his stomach And so I remember like having an out of body experience when like the doctor was removing the tube, like from his nose and his stomach and stuff. And like, I remember trying to talk to him like the moments before he died, when I had like a minute or two alone with him and like him not talking to me right away or like really acknowledging me. And like, I remember being upset at first and I was like, it's okay if he doesn't talk to me. Like I've had so many amazing like 3 a.m conversations with him where like i go grab him a coke and we just talk about something like random like rick and morty or whatever the fuck yeah and that's okay like i don't need to have some like like affirming like last second like words of wisdom exchange between us before he dies like that's fine yeah i was just thinking about like i mentioned earlier media portrayals of death and it's always like you're holding your hand and like the, you you close their eyes and they you know they whisper something to you and it's just could not be further from the truth it's really not and like it's fine that it's not going to be perfect and it's just it's kind of awkward and like it's weird and it's messy and like also um his eyes didn't close all the way when he passed so and that was also when he's when he when he would sleep too his eyes wouldn't close all the way so even even when he passed like his eyes weren't closed all the way and i was like god damn it like this this is fucking creepy like what the hell well it's when you said that it's uh, it's like awkward and messy and like i immediately thought of like births too are the same way they're like awkward and messy and ugly and i mean obviously i don't know from experience but it's just one of those life things it's just different for everyone and it's not like you can't really prepare yourself until it's actually happening to you yeah exactly so when did that happen like when did he die you were 26 yeah so that so was four years ago yeah february 11th uh 2018. i want to talk about what 
you learned about yourself through all this and what you would say to someone else who either is about to go through it or like they are afraid of going through it if that makes sense yeah um i would say the biggest things that i've learned about myself is that i'm way more resilient than i ever truly thought that i was and that goes for more than just this experience i mean i feel that people never really give themselves enough credit for the things that they've gone through in life. And yes, we really need to give ourselves more credit for those experiences. And for someone that is maybe like, you know, considering their own like uh, mortality or someone else's it's never too early to consider like end of life planning. And it only makes like your, like, like just in general life easier for people. Dude, literally my sister and I were literally just having this conversation in the car last night. No joke. It, it makes so much sense because like, like I mentioned earlier, um, me and Fee's best friend, like we were literally like sitting on the hospital bed, like hashing out things about Fee's funeral. Like, okay, you want us to play this song? Okay, you want us to do this? Okay, you want us to do that? And like, it would have been so much easier and we could have been like a lot more focused in the moment if like we already had some of that like done. But I mean, like, not that I'm like, Fee, you fucked up. <laughs> like, you know? I know, exactly. <laughs> like, he, he didn't exactly plan the situation he was in. Like for, for me, like being a teacher, um, when I had to go back to the classroom to teach full time um, last fall because of fucking COVID, like I actually, I got my will started. Like I started my will. I was like, God forbid I actually, you know, pass or I'm in the hospital and I like, I want my DNR and stuff like that. Like I want this all written out legally with a lawyer yes, and have that done and squared away just for like peace of mind, if anything else. Do you have any resources to recommend for people who are interested in planning that kind of stuff? Because I don't I wouldn't know the first thing about it, like if I wanted to start planning my will today. So it really depends on the state that you're in. For me, I was able to do it through my teachers union because they have like lawyers on staff that are able to work with people about that. Definitely. Um, you can look through even your job. Sometimes they have like recommendations for like ways you can start doing that. But it does depend on the state that you're in. Um, Like for me in New York, it's going to be different than somebody else somewhere else, because in some states you can just write on like a post-it and that's like legally binding. But yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what do you need? You know, (laughs) just make a word doc and share it with everyone in your life. Like for me in New York, if I like wrote it on a post-it, that's not going to work because like for me as like a single woman, like my mother, even though she's in Florida, would get like the final say. That's kind of scary. Yeah. So that's why I was like, hell no. <laughs> I like ended up like doing like the will and stuff like that. Cause like for me, I want to be cremated and I'm very stern about that. And I want to make sure that I'm not buried somewhere. So I was like, I need a lawyer to lawyerize this. Yeah. I love my parents, but I do not want them to be in charge of my funeral because uh, like you said, I want to be cremated and I don't want like a Christian service. <laughs> I feel like I would literally be rolling in my grave if like they tried to fucking sing hymns at my funeral or something like that yeah and also like for me like the the duality in my family like with religion where like i'm jewish and like my mother is so like i could just see her being like we're all gonna pray to jesus and like my friends are like what the fuck it's all very valid things to bring up yeah and then also like for people that 
um, maybe not for the closing act of life, but like for people that are thinking about like when their life is like um, ending, right? There's something called a death doula, which is like, you know, like for a doula, for like a person giving birth, they have like a death doula, like for people who are like dying to like help them like sort all of this out. So you can only get a person like that to help you with all of this. I've heard of that. That sounds just really fascinating and needed. Yeah. So usually these people have a lot of experience, like talking about, um, how to like in your state or where you live, like how to go about like planning a will or like what kind of ways you want to take care of your body when you pass away, um, beneficiaries, things like that for your, Oh, there's a whole world out there. Of, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a whole death industry out there that no one really talks about. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm listening to this podcast lately called obituary with, uh, with the word bitch spelled out like obituary. And it's just these two people that talk about like a funny obituaries they've seen or touching ones, and then just normalizing the conversation around death in a, in a humorous way. And it's so comforting. Like it, it is something we all have, have to go through. And if you can laugh about it. Yeah. There's something else. Um, there's a woman on TikTok who is like a mortician and she posts a lot of stuff about, she doesn't actually show the bodies, which I'm like, I want to see the bodies because like I'm weird, <laughs> but like about how she like prepares people like in caskets and stuff, which is like a whole other thing. And I, I also have like trauma around like seeing my brother in a casket and like he did not look like himself. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. My cousin died in his twenties. Um, I was going to mention earlier cause like he died at a Bible study with his wife and like he pissed his pants. Like that's how they first knew something was wrong. Oh. And he, you know, it, it's, I saw him in his casket the only time I've ever seen a dead body and it just really sticks with you. And it's not necessarily like a good memory. Not, not that it should be, but you know what I mean? Like, cause also like with stuff like that, like in a casket, like for my brother, he was in a car accident. So, oh my God. Yeah. For lack of a better word, his face was smashed in. So they had to rebuild, they had to rebuild him. So That's like not them at that point. It it didn't look like him when I saw him. I was like, who the fuck is that? And then like with my dad, um, my dad's body wasn't preserved, but I got to see him before they like buried him Mm -hmm. um, because I was curious. I was like, let me fucking see him. And he was like purple and shit. (laughs) So Yeah. Ah, you're a very strong person. Like, I hope you, I mean, it sounds like you do know that, but I'm just really, really in awe of everything you've gone through. And just the fact that you can talk about it now and use humor as a coping mechanism, which I am a huge fan of, by the way. I tried. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So before we say goodbye, is there anything else you want to add or any, anything that's helped you with your mental health as you've healed over the last four years? It sounds like a cliche, like laugh, laugh, love, but like <laughs> um, just putting yourself out there and just not giving a fuck what other people think. Like in the past four years, I've like covered myself with tattoos and like traveled to a bunch of fucking places. And I'm convinced like if he saw me today, he'd be like, who the fuck are you? In like a good way. <laughs> like he'd be Yeah. Like, oh, I love that. That's really inspiring too. just like living to be someone that your loved one would be proud of. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot too about like my dad's cousin and my dad were really close. So like I've gotten closer to her as well. And she's like, you are so much like your dad, but like in the best way. Oh, 
So I, I try really hard to live by that. So like live through the people that like have touched my life and to like not live for them. Cause you know, obviously you should live for yourself, but like to remember the, my choices in my life and how I choose to live my life. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Like, uh, this has been really great. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. It's great talking with you. Of course. Um, and is there, if anyone wants to get like in contact with you, do you have like uh, any media you want to post or like email or? Yeah, sure. Or if not, if not, that's cool too. Oh, sure. Um, Instagram, um, Goth Grandpa. I think it's probably the best way to get in contact with me. Yes. I love that username, by the way. It's <laughs> iconic. It's the best way. Oh. To, the best way to think about me as a person is just goth grandpa. <laughs> Watch the title of this episode be stories from a goth grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hello, friends. It's Christina again. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support Pickles and Vodka, you can give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Pickles and Vodka Podcast. If you could relate to anything at all we talked about today, or you just want to say hi, email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at Pickles and Vodka Podcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.